of Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome to Encounter Grace. Welcome to the new year. I'm Jason McKnight here with Ben Hendricks, and we're so glad that you're with us uh, here on the the first week of the new year. I hope your celebration was by turns exciting and renewing. Ben, did you and Harper and Janessa stay up all the way to midnight? Uh, which is about uh, 9.30 now for us. <laughs> yeah, we're all celebrating like like Bermuda New Year. Yeah, we, we take the New Year's by faith, you know. <laughs> Well, as we stand on the cusp of, you know, I was trying to think back to when we had young kids and, and two years old and one year old and man, yeah, New Year's was a little fun there. Yeah. <laughs> They're either up because they haven't ever gone to sleep or we just all packed it in at 10 o'clock. Yeah, because they get up at the same time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get on to the changing of the clocks in the spring and the fall later. But anyway, here we are on the cusp of 2023. And what we're not going to do today is a New Year's resolution episode because I hate them. Okay, yeah. Because I always blow them by day 10. <laughs> They're just too hard to keep. So we do, though, want to help us live think, uh, live and think better. And so Ben had this great idea back in November for uh, something that we could all use a little help with, um, this whole area called cognitive biases. And we thought it would be a great thing to talk about. But I got to ask you this, Ben, where do you get all these ideas? Like you come up with the most amazing things. And I was thinking as I was preparing this, that maybe it's stuff you want me to grow. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's a little passive aggressive here. Yeah. I'm just slowly <laughs> trying to disciple you from the side. Yeah. So cognitive biases, my own and uh, maybe Ben's. <laughs> well, that was the issue is, so I ran across this sheet of, that had about 50 cognitive biases. Yes, 50 of them. And there's even more than that. Uh, and I was like, oh, these, these are interesting. And I was like, I wonder which ones I have. I'm sure the two or three. And I, I, as I made it through the first sheet of 25, I had about 20 of them highlighted. I was like, oh no, uh, I'm, I'm in trouble. And if I'm in trouble, maybe, and for sure Jason's in trouble. Uh, and if we're in trouble, maybe somebody else is a little in trouble. I had the other five. Yeah. We've got the set together. Uh, and so really my heart behind wanting to look at cognitive biases is because uh, so much of discipleship and so much of Jesus' heart, right, was the ability to see the world in reality, mm. to see the real world, the way that it actually is, not just the world that we may only want to see, or maybe not even just the world that we may, that we have blinded ourselves just to see, that maybe because of sin or struggles or just whatever that we're stuck seeing. Because I, I think Jesus cares about us taking those steps uh, and actually being able to see the world for what it is. Mm. And addressing these cognitive biases, we'll only get to mention a couple today, I think will help us take a step in, towards fruitfulness and maybe even in our walk to faithfulness a little bit better. Yeah. To see the world a little clearer. Yeah, see the world a little clearer. I, I also think fruitfulness, faithfulness, I like that. And I also think that if we're seeing the world a little clearer we're going to be able to do relationships a yeah. little better. And and there's that um, win as well. Oh. And and we'll talk about that. I, I think that might even, you know, world a little clearer, fruitfulness, faithfulness, relationships a little better. I think we'll see that in each of them as we go. But here's what we want to do. We want to explain what a cognitive bias is, is, 
we want to walk through some of them and give examples of them to sort of help us out. And then we want to go at near the end to, okay, so now that we know what they are, what do we do about it? And um, maybe yeah. even land the plane with just a return to what is it that makes this so good? Why do we want to yeah. tackle this? So, Ben, tell us, uh, flesh out for us, what is a cognitive bias? Yeah, I mean, so... Uh I like to think of it in Jesus' terms. I mean, he often referenced this idea of a log in the eye that uh, it ends up ah. blocking our vision. And, and uh, whether or not we take it from the one way of we have this huge log in our eye that we can't see, but we can always see it in others, which is a cognitive bias, or that it's the only thing that we can see and we miss everything else. Uh, we often have a log in our eye that we get stuck on or that we, that we too easily miss, which in many terms uh, from – if we kind of apply that to psychology and just therapeutic language is determined and classified and defined as a cognitive bias, which is a systematic thought process caused by the tendency of the human brain to simplify information, processing through a filter of personal experiences and preferences. That's a long way to say our brains, we try to take shortcuts when processing just about everything. Mm. I mean, we do this all the time because we just make the assumption, well, it was that way, so it's probably going to be that way again. Or we learned something then, so it's got to be that way now. We just, like, we do it all the time. We take shortcuts. And here's the truth. A lot of times, those shortcuts are helpful. They save us time. They right. save us some heartache or some frustration, some anger. But there's a lot of times where they cause frustration, heartache, and anger because it's an assumption that's just not going to be true. Right. Well, well, it's interesting. No, I think that's really good. A, a systematic thought process caused by our tendency, our brain's tendency to simplify information processing. Yeah. Like we're, we're just taking a shortcut. But I think, I think that's interesting because one of the bad words for it is assuming. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm making, I couldn't go, I can go through life making all sorts of assumptions. Yeah. Um, I think we're close also to, Maybe it's a bigger concept. So, but this idea of worldview, hmm. um, it, it feels like we're in the same area of thought processing or thought uh, organizing, but it's a little bit different. So, a worldview and a cognitive bias, they both affect how you do life, how you see yeah. the world, but but in different ways, right? Yeah. So, probably like a, if I mean, a cognitive bias is almost just. I mean, more or less our soft, like kind of the software mm -hmm. in us where it's like it's the running. Yeah. A worldview actually takes the work to create. Like, yeah. so the idea of a biblical worldview, you don't just fall into a biblical worldview. You read your Bible, you learn the lesson, you understand the theology, you understand the gospel and you apply it to your life. I mean, it's the glasses that you put on. You have to go to the doctor, you get the prescription, you put the glasses on and you see the world more clearly because that's a worldview that you've put on. Cognitive bias is almost these things that just naturally we have a, to be a part of. Right. Does that make Good. sense? Yes, that does. That does. That, yeah. That's really helpful. Well, let's let's do this then. If, we're, if we've got a bunch of brain shortcuts that, that our brains are using <laughs> and you've got at least 20 of them, it was a two-page and on the first page you had 20 of them. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot highlighted. It was bad. <laughs> well, I mean, who knows? Well, that's even interesting. Maybe, well, actually, that gets to our first... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to introduce us to a whole bunch of these, not to solve everything for everyone for all time, but to get us as the listening community here at Encounter Grace comfortable with 
this idea and yeah. then taking steps <clears throat> forward in where we can learn and grow. Um, and so we'll tackle several of these. The first <laughs> is two pairs and, uh, and there's two of us talking. And so, um, Ben, apparently there's an optimism bias and a pessimism bias. And, um, those are two of these cognitive biases. And, uh, it might even be true that one of us has an optimism bias and the other. Uh, I, do you I, plead the fifth? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine if we put a poll out there for everybody, would they be able to, again, <laughs> figure out who's got the optimism bias of, of the two of us? And, and is it just because they would all guess that you're the optimism or is it they would all guess that I'm the pessimism? And so, yeah, so we, we found this funny as we were kind of going yeah. through this. It was like, oh wow, we're, Almost this uh, litmus test of which of what this is like. Like wow, we're seeing this all the time. Well, well, frankly, the optimism bias came out because I looked at that sheet and I didn't have any of yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> and you had all of them. I had all of them. <laughs> uh, I just till I came to optimism bias and I knew I had that. Why well, sarcastic optimism? Which just goes well. This means the more godly. That's true. <laughs> So, okay, so let, let me start off. I'll, I'll yeah. kind of introduce uh, a little bit of what the pessimism bias is. Uh, if you have pessimism bias, that means we're the worst. I'm just kidding. Uh, pessimism bias refers uh, to the tendency, and you'll recognize this with somebody that you know, maybe even yourself, the tendency to overestimate the likelihood of negative events while underestimating the likelihood of positive events. So... There's a couple key, like a key marker is a fear or uncomfort with a, with some new things. And we'll get to that in here in a minute. Pessimism. Yep. Pessimism. We see this all the time. This is the friend that you had in school who always thought they were going to fail the exam, even though they always made 100s. I still remember her name. <laughs> I thought you were her. <laughs> no, well, uh, <laughs> it's the person that we know. Yeah. Who thinks everyone dislikes them, despite how often people are around them? It's the person that we always, who always just thinks everything is one step away from breaking, one step away from failing, that everything tomorrow is probably going to go wrong. It's also the person you, like, you probably like having prepare some of your financial stuff. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> like, well, in case everything goes wrong, here's what yeah. I would, here's how you stay conservative. Yep. <laughs> It is the glass half full or like half empty. I guess half empty, yeah. Sorry, I messed up my illustrations. They're my glass half empty kind of person. The And again, back to the key markers. It's usually the person, and the reason why we're like this is that we kind of have this fear or uncomfort with new or unknown things mm. because everything is seen through the lens of a possibility of failure. Right. Like how is this going to mess up? Because this is a good thing. And if I've got, it's probably going to, mess up. And it's not just because we think like, Hey, I'm terrible or I'm no good at this, or I'm always going to be the one who messes up. It's just, we're just always looking for, well, if it's going to mess up, how is it going to mess up? Yeah. yeah. We have a tendency to overestimate the likelihood of negative events. Like I, I fall in that. Well, it's probably going to mess up while I've got it. And you're like, it's probably going to go great when I've got it. Yeah. (laughs) And so a couple of consequences for us is that, I mean, if maybe this is you, if you're listening is like, we just choose not to do something new because we expect that it's going to go poorly because mm-hmm. of the potential failure or we become overwhelmed mm-hmm. while we have it because we're thinking through all the possibilities of ways that things can go wrong and then we're all the ways to make sure they don't. And so it's easy for us to get overwhelmed and just be like, okay, fine, I'll just 
whatever. Ben, I'm, I'm thinking back to um, the first uh, week you were on staff at Grace when you drove in from Nashville, Tennessee on a Sunday, arrived here at church for the benediction with your sweet wife and your <laughs> U-Haul, and we all greeted you and loved you and hugged you, and then we sent you out the next morning at 6.30 in the morning, <laughs> taking kids eight hours to camp, and the car broke down on the trip. Yeah. <laughs> you poor guy, we gave you a car that wouldn't, we gave you a big, <clears throat> you know, car well, full of kids, and it broke down. I mean, no wonder, no wonder every year you plan Snowbird you are you use the pessimism bias, <laughs> yeah, it, and we've never had another disaster on the travel of the trip. Yeah, and I mean, I make that joke. It's and I'm like, well, one of the reasons why we never have these big disasters is because I think there are all the ways this could go wrong, and I try yeah. to fix around those. Well, and we and we and, let you we let you have a bunch of them. Yeah. The first one, <laughs> they all went wrong. And pessimistic people with pessimistic bias, we usually call ourselves the realists, right? But the reality is true. Like, and with you with optimism bias, like. Just like, uh, yes, things go wrong, but things go right just as much, if not more. Well, and even in the wrong, there's so many good yeah. things that happen. Stop it, Jason. <laughs> I mean, how does a pessimist, how does a pessimism biased guy uh, deal with God's sovereignty? I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just, but, uh, well, and everything Ben oh. said about pessimism bias, just, just flip it around, play it backwards. <laughs> yeah, you're not post-millennial. <laughs> um, so it's the Eeyore versus the Tigger and that's sort of Aww. way far out there. I don't want to be Eeyore. <laughs> you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> but actually, I don't really want to be Tigger because, uh, you know. But Tiggers are best. Well, they, they think they are. But yeah, well. you do not want a Tigger running your youth retreat. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we've had a few of those over the, in the years. Um, no, seriously, we all, we all need everyone. And mm. it's just interesting to know, hey, uh, everyone thinks they're a realist, but maybe you're one or the other. Maybe yeah. you're an optimism you have hold you you live with an optimism bias or a pessimism bias okay that's fun that's just to warm us up let's get a little more um uh, out of the simple yeah, yeah, yeah you know and and here we're going to talk about the next two that are also related although they're different and ben's going to handle fundamental attribution error bias and i'm going to handle the halo effect hmm. bias so ben you hit us with the and i'll go I'll yep. go faster this time so you have more time to talk. No, you know, that's so. all right. I mean, the optimism is simple. <laughs> uh, so fundamental attribution error is the bias when we judge others on their personality or their fundamental character. So that's their personality or that's just who they are. Like they're, uh, they're a wise person. They're a cheater. They're a liar. But we judge ourselves they're on the situation. Optimist. Yeah, yeah. They're an optimist. <laughs> no, uh, no, but we judge ourselves on. Yeah, so we, we, it's this idea that we believe that person's personality traits have more influence on their actions compared to other factors over which they don't have control. So, uh, for the most part, it's personality trait versus situational circumstance. We see it again all the time. When you're late to work, it's because of traffic. When your coworker is late, it's because he or she is lazy. I got you. It's like, oh, yeah. we do do this. <laughs> when you forget to do something, it's because your home life has been rough the last couple of weeks. When your spouse forgets, it's because they aren't responsible. Mm-hmm. Right. I would never say that. <laughs> so personality trait versus situational circumstances. Mm. You choose that. You did that. You said that because you are that, not because of the situation or the circumstances that you were in. We just assume that a lot of times. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And we don't give other people. So the problem with that is that we just make unfair and incorrect judgments of people. Right. 
and we quickly put people into a box. Since you did that, or you did that so you are bad. You did that thing so you must be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's part of the cancel culture that so much of us have seen in well, the last little true. bit. Well, that's true. That's really good. So I think just for most of us, if you find this to be true, and I think all of us have tendencies to be here, is we always need to be reminding ourselves that a person's action doesn't always resemble their character. We should strive for our actions to resemble our character. That's just something we should do. Jesus reminds us of that a lot. Mm -hmm. But we always need to remember that environment really does heavily influence people. And if it's true of you, it's probably true for them too. And give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, people are the sum of their parts. They're not... Uh, their sum is not one part. Hmm. Like, that's what we're doing there. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so the halo effect is related to that, but more in a positive way. And this is when we have a tendency um, for my impression of someone in one area of their life to affect my my opinion of them in every area. Hmm. So um, if someone is good-looking and well put together, they just got a better jab and a uh, better chance in a job interview than someone who comes in all disheveled and unkempt and slovenly. Yeah. I've been waiting to use these words <laughs> slovenly, but seriously, I mean, that's just what it is. And so a bit of it is, is putting your best foot forward or um, in a job interview, but, but actually it's, it unfortunately is true. There's a cognitive bias that if I see you walking in with good clothes, I'm going to think better of you. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, a fun, fun, maybe s- simple little example is let's, let's pretend you love Disney World. And so you think that living in Orlando would be fun because you're so close to Disney. <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with the whole region of Orlando. Yeah. Cause it's very human. <laughs> it, it's human. <laughs> uh, maybe in church, someone who's a really strong Bible teacher. Oh, wow. They must be really spiritually mature hmm. just because they led us through a really good uh, discussion of the Hebrew words in Isaiah or something like that. Well, yeah. those are actually two different things. Their whole walk with Jesus, their whole spiritual maturity, just because they know some Hebrew grammar and some really interesting insights. So don't take one thing and and um, give it a halo of everything. Yeah. We do it all the time. Yeah, and this one I think is difficult because we just try to make the assumption that things are related that aren't, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, just because you're a gifted communicator doesn't mean that you're I mean, actually mature, right? Right. Which is what you were just saying. But there are times where they actually are connected, and right. that's the messiness of it. Well, and it's true, because you do want to dress up for a job interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it does show that you're preparing for it, and so the yeah. disheveled, unkempt, slovenly, see, I wanted to use them yeah. again, uh, that, that does say something about you. But at the same time, they might really be good at X yeah. in that job description, but the, the, the person that comes in looking good is just automatically thought better. Anyway, okay. Halo effect, fundamental attribution error. Two ways we take one thing about someone, positively or negatively, and uh, and look at everything. Well, let's keep moving on. There's there's some other really common ones, and then a couple that are more of a, like treasures that uh, <laughs> we might pull out. Here's one that um, probably most of us have in some measure, is a confirmation bias. This is probably the most common one yeah. after optimism or pessimism bias, but a confirmation bias. And this simply is uh, the tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with what I already know or believe. 
So I'm, I'm just going to process new ideas that support my existing ideas. I'm going to process them in a way that support my existing ideas. I'm going to go straight to, on confirmation bias, I'm going to go straight to politics because that's where it plays the most. Yeah. If I believe that candidate X is a not good candidate for office, that their policies and their party are not what I'd support, and I think they're crooked and corrupt, then <laughs> when the rumor of marital infidelity surfaces, how am I going to process that? Yep, I knew it all along. I can see it coming. Oh, no. I mean, don't you, like you, but it's just a rumor. And two weeks later, the news comes out that that was just a fabrication, that they really weren't unfaithful in their marriage. Frankly, they have a fantastic marriage. <laughs> well, I don't put as much faith in that at all. Well, not, I meant... Well, then instead of re reevaluating the information, I go, well, the news is corrupt. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> See, I get to keep my confirmation yeah. bias about candidate X. <laughs> because, by, you know, all these cognitive biases are shortcuts in our brains. And yeah. so it's hard to, it's hard to cut a new shortcut. And so we're processing data in such a way as a confirmation bias that it confirms what I already believe. Um, let me give another example and then maybe uh, a caution. I actually think, uh, and, and so this may step on a few toes, uh, and, and others of you may th say, yeah, that makes sense to me. But I think there's uh, an example in climate change. Mm -hmm. If you believe the planet is in grave danger from man-made climate change, then you'll tend to adopt every new article, every new study, every new projection that shows how bad things are getting, and you'll discount anything that says how good things are getting. And I think that's, I think people are out there. I mean, I think we have seen real changes for the bad and the good in how we steward the creation over the last 15, 20 years. But what's only getting play in the media is how bad things are getting climate change wise. And then it says, well, maybe there's confirmation bias in the um, editors or in the, the newsrooms or so forth. So I, I, I think you're, I think that's one that's a live one that's worth all of us mm. exploring because no matter which side of it you're on, uh, there's a way to just take your own your own side's information and play that up, and that's what we do all the time. Now, the caution in confirmation bias. Do you want to add anything? Uh, I mean, I think you're about to hit what I was going to say. Okay, well, why don't you add? <laughs> well, well, I'm just thinking of I. I think this is just with technology has gotten a little worse, like with social media. I mean, there's literally like tech that's the give the people what they want tech. Like your social media feed is choosing what you see based on the amount of time that you've spent looking at that one post or the clicks that you met. And so it's like, wow, he's spent a lot of time doing uh, looking at this wing of politics. Well, let's just give him more of that. Give and him so more of that. now all of a sudden, if all you've been looking at is left, you see nothing from the right. Or if you've seen all you're done is looking at the right, you see nothing from the left or whatever it is. Like, and here's poor me perfectly in the center. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, again, we see it in yeah, everything. No, it's, it's like true. the other day I was on Facebook Marketplace and I accidentally clicked on like one piece of furniture and all of a sudden I see couches for five days. I'm like, I didn't mean to look at couches. Right, right. And so I think it happens with real stuff that matters too. Yeah, I think that's true. And and you're right. It's it's actually, this is the one why we all know about this and, and, and get this viscerally is because we're all living in the social world and when we do, the algorithms drive us into a deeper confirmation bias. And yeah. If only. I mean, I had a bunch of other examples I wanted to use here, uh, but it would trigger everyone on every side. Okay. <laughs> We'd get all sorts of hate mail. So anyway. It was the couches thing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, 
just because the fact of confirmation bias is out there, here's the caution. The second caution, the first caution is yes, watch out on social. Uh, The second caution is this doesn't mean that if you learn new things that reinforce your views, those new things are automatically wrong or suspect. Mm. Like you can keep growing, learning new things about the grace of God, and it doesn't mean it's just confirmation bias showing me this. Mm. You know, we just simply need to be aware that for many of us, we have a tendency to want to confirm our beliefs. Our brains just take a shortcut. And so we just have that in our midst as we're thinking through. Okay. Well, that's confirmation bias. It's not that hard and we yeah. all are in it and just keep thinking and saying, Hey, let me, let me double check that. We talk at least once a year about how to, how to be careful with social media, how to be careful with news, yeah. how to, how to be a good student of current events and not get tricked and, and pulled in, in silly, uh, directions. Um, so we don't have to do that right here, but confirmation bias is one of those things. Ben, tell us about the spotlight effect and then tell us about the anchoring effect. Yeah, so the spotlight effect is if uh, you have a kid or if you've ever been a kid, this one's for you. Uh, the spotlight effect describes our tendency to overestimate the extent to which people notice us. Oh, that's true. Oh, no. Only kids? Uh, well, I'm saying if you've ever, yeah. We just this, this is like number one kids? for student ministry. Uh, I see it all the time right. in me and them. We have flawed predictions about how others view us, especially those who we see regularly. I mean, the amount of research on this is wild, and it demonstrates that individuals perceive changes in their appearance. So that good hair day you had or the bad hair day you had to be more prominent than they actually are. Because in reality, those changes go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. Even the glaringly obvious ones. Yeah. So really the idea is that we think everyone notices everything about so the good stuff, yay, they noticed it. I'm sure they did. Even though they didn't say anything, I'm sure they noticed it. Or the bad stuff. They didn't say anything, but they were talking about it. I know they were. I mean, the bad haircut, the booger, the pimple. <laughs> you feel the student ministry yeah. tension here? Yep. Uh, the idea is that since we are so focused on ourselves, we assume everyone else is. Because, look, the, so the problem is we, we think other people are as critical of us as we are. Because we're often, we're always looking at ourselves. We're always wondering, well, I wonder how I was perceived. Well, maybe not all of us, but we're often doing that. And we notice the flaw, so they must have two. We obsess over that mistake, so they must have two. And so I think one of the biggest problems is it absolutely like the spotlight effect when we really believe that everyone's as critical of us as we are of ourselves. It changes our behavior. That we kind of just jump to, I'm going to be in a bad mood because they butchered my haircut or my hair isn't just perfect today. Like this is actually like, you know, this is true for me. There was a day I'll never forget this day. Like I was just in a bad mood. Cause I was like, I've got this little piece of hair sticking up. And Janessa looked at me. She was like, no, you don't like, but, and my ad- entire attitude changed like, because I had this one issue. I'm looking at your hair now. It's perfectly quaffed. Y'all. <laughs> uh, See, it's so great, Ben. I, amen. It's coming. <laughs> Spotlight effect. Never mind. I'm not looking at your hair. And so the idea is that, like, and we've all said this probably before, that I can't go out unless mm-hmm. I find that perfect yeah. pair of earrings or I can find that one watch. I mean, what will people think if I have to wear that shirt with that pair of pants or with that belt? And, we, and they're really not thinking about you that much. And the reality is they're not focused on you because they're, they're focused on them. Because they most likely the spotlight effect you have is the same one they have. 
And the sad thing is that as you're a kid and, and kids mock you, yeah. which I've been mocked, yeah. uh, even that isn't that they woke up that morning waiting to see how they could mock you and just, you know, again, yeah. you can spotlight effect that. Mm. It's just in the moment the kids said that dumb thing and everyone else laughed. And then seven minutes later, they forgot about it. Yep. But boy, you thought that was premeditated from the moment they woke up and that they're living in the glory of it till the time they go to bed. And, and it's not. It's just. A <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. And that, that goes to our heart wanting always to be in the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Anchoring effect. Yeah. So the anchoring bias is fairly similar anchoring to bias. confirmation bias in a way is the anchoring bias is our tendency to rely heavily on the first piece of information introduced when making decisions mm. uh, or about a certain topic. So the idea that we often interpret newer information from an anchor point of what we already know or what we already think we know. Right. So here's an example. Uh, we're in the, just past the Christmas season. Imagine that you go back a month and you're shopping for the perfect gift for Susan, right? And you go to the store and you find two coffee mugs on the shelf. Then, of course, Susan wants a coffee mug, the exact one. It says, I heart Susan. Uh, there's I two Jason. of them. Yeah, she I, wants well, one. <laughs> no, well, I mean, she's a spotlight. I, I'm just, okay. And so you look at them and they're perfect. Mm. And you know she's going to love either one. So which one do you choose? What do you do? Well, you bring them closer and you look at the tags. The one in your left hand, you look at the price tag and it says $50. That's an expensive mug. Okay, not bad, but it's expensive. And you look at the one on the right, it says $1,000, but it's marked down to 50 <laughs> The exact same present. Which one do you choose? The idea of, of the anchoring effect is that the first initial number, this is a $1,000 mug, changes the way you see the actual cost of the mug. Because who cares at that point that a $50 coffee mug is outrageous? It used to be a 1000 Right, right. I mean, what do, what do we all say when we find that kind of deal? I mean, that's free money. It would be a sin not to get it, right? <laughs> and <laughs> You go broke saving money. Yeah, right? We do this with all kinds mm -hmm. of information as well. I mean, mm -hmm. we do it with history. We do it with science. We do it with math. Like, then we do it with the way that we learn the thing. We do it with all kinds of stuff. So the problem is that we believe that if it was true, then it must be true now. And if I did it that way, then it must be the best way now. And I, I think for most of us when we're looking at this, whether it's the price tags on actual things that we're buying or the information that we're receiving, we, first we have to start off with the awareness because this is one of the most prevalent ones throughout our lives, I think. That we just need the awareness that you have a tendency. Just remember this. Just know this. You have a tendency to overvalue what you learn first. That's helpful. Yeah. And it affects your decisions and the way that you value things. Just because you know that little thing there doesn't mean that that's better than the thing you don't know about. Mm -hmm. And so to remember that the first piece of information is not always the most important piece of information. Right. And to take that information in context with what you learn after. So when you're making that decision and you're trying to understand that situation, that little bit of information, take it in the full context of the information you're going to learn, you're going to receive, and you're going to see about that situation or that decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I feel like I've been just played by the uh, marketing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking well, of the, the deals I always get, and I'm like, because I just buy into their top price. I'm like, well, you know, and then when they mark it down, I'm like, see, I got this shirt for... I, and look, I'm, I've done this so many times. I mean, I remember going into Scotland. I, I went, when we went to Scotland, Janessa and I, 
Uh, there was a jacket I wanted. I knew when I, we went to Scotland, I wanted this kind of jacket, and I found one. And it was this price, but it was 50% off while I was there. That's amazing. Well, that's not that bad of a deal. I go back home to the States, and I look online to see it. Oh, it's always that price. Oh. <laughs> it's always that price, yeah. You think I wonder. Well, the anchoring effect. Okay, yep. well, we're going to – or bias. We're going to talk now about a fun one, and uh, this is a shortcut that's not necessarily bad. Like, so sort of cognitive biases, maybe sometimes yeah. we're saying, oh, watch out for these. This is one, the Zigernick effect, uh, that's just good for us to know. And here it is. It's the tendency for us to remember unfinished tasks more strongly than finished ones. Hmm. And maybe you feel like you never get anything accomplished – because you keep getting interrupted and those things that you keep getting interrupted in are still weighing on your brain and you feel like I can't get anything done today. Um, but really what's happening in your brain is your brain is keeping those files open, those, those tasks that you were interrupted in the middle of, let's say three different times in the day. And, and those files are still open in your mind and your brain doesn't keep thinking about the 13 things you've already done. And closed, and, and it's, your mind checks that off and sets it aside. Mm. So the Zigernick effect means that you give more focus to things that are unfinished. And it's named for Bluma Zigernick, who observed this in a busy cafe in Vienna. Uh, all good uh, psychology comes out of Vienna, I would think. <laughs> At least that's what Freud would say. But anyway, uh, she noticed in this busy cafe in Vienna over her cafe au lait, and I'm sure a beautiful pastry, uh, uh, maybe even a schnitzel, she noticed that the waiters had a better memory of unpaid orders and what was in them, but they couldn't remember at all, really, what the paid orders had been just 20 minutes, 10 minutes earlier. But the unpaid ones, or if someone left and didn't pay, they could remember exactly what that guy owed them. <laughs> The brain keeps the file open. It's kind of like when you're into a great novel and you have to you have to put it down and go to work. Hmm. You're thinking about it all day. Well, because you're still in it, because it's unfinished, because you're in the middle of the story. <laughs> Your brain keeps that file open. And again, this is not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's a there thing. <laughs> it's just there. But you can overvalue undone things and undervalue the things you've done. And so for me who loves a checklist, you know, I can be weighed down by the things I haven't done and forget that I've really done a lot of things. You can also leverage the Zigernick effect. And this is where, Ben, how many high school students do you think listen to this podcast? This is where they all need to tune in. <laughs> I think we have, you know, 0.7 high school students around yeah. the world listening to this podcast. I don't know. But if you're studying for tests or exams, it is far more effective to open the file, chip away at it, let your brain work on it in the pa in the background through your day, than it is to wait until the night before the exam and cram. Aww. If you have to stour, study one hour for a test, so much better to do it 15 minutes over four days than one hour the night before. Because over those four days, you uh, you keep working on it a little bit and your, and your mind even focuses on it while you're not focused on it. And it's just the Zigernick effect. So this is a fascinating one. I thought this was really good, uh, both to to give me less guilt in my day when I think I'm not getting anything done, but it's just because maybe I'm being interrupted. But also more help for, for when I'm studying or when I'm working. I mean, even when you and I are working on teaching stuff, it's really great for us to start opening a couple of those files and letting our mind work on them, you know, two and three weeks out or two yeah. and three events out. Zigernick. Bluma Zigernick. She did it all for us. <laughs> all right. 
authority bias. Yeah. Two more. We've we got two more. Authority bias, and I'm, then I'm going to do the I'll last. I'll make this one pretty quick. So the authority bias is when we irrationally trust the judgment of experts. Like Bluma Zigernik. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, this is why we order them this way. Uh, so I mean, the doctor, the lawyer, the financial advisor. When we take right. everything that they say and we go, well, if they said it, it always must be true. Now, look, we need to, it's worth trusting your experts. Mm-hmm. It's worth when your doctor gives you helpful information to take that. It's also worth going, well, I'm going to try to, I'm going to get a second opinion as well. Because there is a difference between information and application, right? An application is often the hardest part and you need to know people to apply things well. There's the information that the doctor can give you, and then the what we need to do with it can be can be different. We just need to always know that there's a difference between information and application. Here's where I think this really gets wonky for us. It's not just when we listen just when when a doctor gives us medical advice. That's his expertise. Where this really gets weird is because and it, it, we start mixing this with other cognitive biases, even ones that we've already mentioned, is when the doctor goes hey, here's a medical advice, and then starts moving into other fields of expertise and begins to apply that. So when the, when the biologist says a claim about how old something is and then goes, and so that's why you shouldn't believe your Bible because of the, And it's like, so there, there's a statement of, of where they're an expert, and then they move across fields to a place that they're not. And they go, well, he was an expert here, so why wouldn't he be there? We just need to be careful to not put all of our trust and give all of our – to irrationally trust the judgment of an, of an expert because they're an expert in one field, right. whether we're in that field or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's really good. Like trust your oncologist on the cancer. Don't yeah. necessarily trust him on the financial advice. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, you know, yep. yeah, just because – yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, the last one is uh, the law of triviality, and this just is super simple. People tend to give disproportionate weight to trivial issues, and you can see this uh, individually in our lives, but also let's think um, organizationally um, where even in a group of people, the law of triviality, Parkinson's law of triviality from 1957, um, I think his first name is Northcote, British guy, uh, this basically the Parkinson's law of triviality states that the smaller an item, the more discussion and debate it will engender. Mm. And so this is exactly why you'll see exactly why we're talking about this in church meetings. They all get bad reputation for the color of the carpet (laughs) and how people have such big, strong ideas about the color of the carpet. And this is why, because it's the law of triviality. Let's think about this in huge things, complex decisions, high value outlays, we're willing to rely on those experts, yep. the right experts, authority bias, you know, but the right experts. And so it doesn't take long to make decisions on complex things, high value outlays where we're relying on the expert. Let's say you're, let's keep in the church. Let's say your congregational church, you take votes on things and um, the church needs a new roof and everybody knows it because it's dripping in four places in the sanctuary and the gathering hall and the whatever. And, um, and it's, it's a flat top. It's a 16,000-square-foot building. It's a commercial roof. And I know zero about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And neither do you, and neither do the you know 99% of the people in that room who are about to vote. So when we get the experts to recommend 
and we check the cost and know if we have the money or not, I mean, the whole conversation moves along pretty fast. But that's actually a super important decision, the roof. However, you know, we talk about it and it takes four minutes. But then the small things of the color of the carpet in the nursery, (laughs) well, now I've got an opinion because I'm a regular person and I've bought carpet before. Yeah. And I've picked colors before and I've weighed the value of under padding and I've thought about my own kids on our own carpet at home. I know something here. Well, so does everyone else in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not bad. It's just that, well, then we end up talking for 39 minutes about a $500 carpet decision and we talked four minutes about a 50000 roof decision. It's just a law of triviality. And it doesn't mean that the carpet is trivial or that small things don't matter. It just means that we tend to give weight to things that are out of proportion with what's needed. Because if the roof's done wrong, the whole place decays, but we only spent four minutes talking about it. And if the carpet in the nursery's done wrong, all we do is buy a $25, you know, area rug (laughs) and put it down on top. So it's not technically a cognitive bias. Um, and, and it's more of a group dynamic, but I think it also works, uh, individually as well. Maybe, Mm. maybe things are falling apart in our world, uh, in our personal life and how the decisions we're making, but really I'm just focused on, focused on making sure that the bathroom's clean, (laughs) you know, like, like really I need to tackle X, Y, and Z, but, but really in a group dynamic setting, this law of triviality, it's worth us remembering in any planning meeting we're in, in any staff meeting we're in, in any PTA meeting or community coaches meeting or elders meeting or anything. And actually, I, I didn't think of it until we started uh, prepping for this, but I think it's one of the reasons why 90% of our elders meetings here at Grace, we do in this order that I'm about to say. We spend time relating to each other around the word and then praying and we spend a good amount of time in the word, in each other's lives and praying. And then after that, we take care of the agenda. And the bigger the agenda, the more we pray. Yeah. <laughs> because we can think, well, gosh, it's budget time and we better give our best time to the budget. But ultimately, one year's budget of Grace Fellowship Church is trivial compared to doing battle for the sheep before the throne of grace. And the prayers and intercession in that moment might last for eternity in someone's life and saving a marriage or delivering, you know, as we pray. So we kind of organize it so that even our meetings start with, with relating and word and prayer. And then the business stuff or the, the, the agenda stuff, man, that's, that's the trivial stuff that we don't want to overspend time on. And yet it's not trivial. Again, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, but what matters more, we're going to give our first attention to. Yeah. It's just interesting. Like these matter. I mean, they and they really affect so much of our lives because like, mm-hmm. these are shortcuts in our brain. Like the brain runs a mini software program when we begin to sense the situation. So what do we do to help the software? What do we do to fix them? How about I give two yeah. and you give yeah. great. Uh, like a third. Seven. Yeah. yeah no, no, so the very first thing we need to do is just ask yourself if you have one, if you have them, maybe you're like me and you have all of them. <laughs> And then then you'll know you definitely have the pessimism bias. Yeah, right. Ask yourself, ask the Lord, ask a friend. Based on your temperament, your experiences, which of them might you have? Start thinking there. Read through them. You can quickly, if you just Google cognitive biases, you'll find a list of them. Or you can email one of us and we'll send you the one that we walked through. Second is listen purposefully 
through to the end of an explanation before forming an opinion. It's interesting. If you think of it that way, of jumping to a conclusion, of assumption, of so assuming, mm-hmm. if you slow down on our, if we slow down on our assumptions, how many of these cognitive biases we will limit? Mm-hmm. Just right out of the gate. Because, well, it's always that way, so it must be this way. Right. Well, yeah, they did that that one time, so I'm sure they'll do it again. Like, if we would just slow down our assumptions and let people finish and get the context and do the hard work, I think we'll miss out in the good way of these biases, many of them. And I think a third one is um, definitely in our lives, seek out friends, seek out respected folks with different backgrounds, different experiences, different perspectives. We're just Mm -hmm. never going to be impoverished when we listen to people that we can respect but see things differently than us. We're never left worse off. And we might just see a blind spot Mm. or a log in our eye in our own thought processes. We might discover a better way of explaining the convictions we do hold. Like it doesn't mean our convictions aren't right. It just means we may end up holding them better, but actually with more grace. Mm. Uh, You know, uh, politically, we're not in a time when this happens. We're we're not. I mean, the 24-hour news cycle and the confirmation bias of our social feeds and all that kind of stuff. And we've talked about this coddling of the American mind several yeah. episodes ago where tribalism and it, and it makes it so difficult. But I, I always think of on the Supreme Court, Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and they both, uh, they both died. But uh, for years on the Supreme Court, they were on the opposite end of almost every opinion, and yet they were the best of friends. Mm-hmm. They'd go to the opera together. They enjoyed each other's company. And I just think that's just helpful. They didn't yes. change and become... Uh, milk toast in their opinions. That's not what we're saying, but it just means they they got to see different backgrounds and respect each other for it. Hmm. I mean, so I think that's the reward for tackling this. I mean, I thought you said it best. Like the reward is simple: reality and relationship. Yeah. You get when we start tackling these, when we start doing the hard work of not making those assumptions right out of the gate, we start living more into the reality that God has for us. And we start living better into relationships that God has for us, too. Yeah. Well, Ben, thanks for um, seeing all the cognitive biases I have and saying <laughs> we need to talk about this. <laughs> and then thanks for sharing your pessimism uh, and getting us through this. This is just really helpful for me. I had a lot of fun putting this together and learning. Uh, so thank you again. And everybody, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you as we start here in 2023. We'll see you next time and look forward to it. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.